Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, the Director of Music Ministries and your host today. During these unprecedented days of physical distancing and leading online worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that share the challenges of producing online worship and finding ways to help those worshiping with us to stay engaged and feel connected, even from a distance. Today's episode is going to be a conversation with Brian Hain, Director for the Center for Congregational Song, the resource and outreach arm of the Hymn Society in the U.S. and Canada. We will be discussing the important topic of congregational singing and COVID-19. We'll be sharing insights and resources to help church leaders, pastors, and musicians as they discern the latest research on singing in worship during this pandemic. We want to share some thoughts about recommended guidelines by the CDC and other ways we can stay actively involved and embody the song without imposing health risks to others. Welcome, Brian. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the, as the director of the Center of Congregational Song. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here and I've really enjoyed working with you uh, during the consultation that we worked together on. Um, and, uh, you know, MSM alum from well, uh, we're taking over the church music world. Um, <laughs> I, uh, what I do for the hymn society is, um, part of my job is to run our annual conference every year. Um, I'm kind of in charge of the programmatic end of the, of the conference. Uh, we, we have a team of people, um, who help put it all together, but I, I'm really kind of in charge of the programmatic side. Uh, so I work with all the clinicians and I sit on all the program committees for each one of our conferences. Uh, I also uh, put together a lot of uh, resources and do a lot of the kind of resource curation where we find things that might be useful to folks and and then uh, put that on the website or create resources based on what we find. Uh, and then finally, I, I serve essentially as a, um, a hub for relationships. So part of my job for the society is just to go out into the world and f- build relationships with people who are doing great work so that we can know as much as possible about what's out there, uh, what people are doing, uh, what new research is happening, what new techniques people are using, um, and just know as much as possible um, so that when people ask us questions, even if we don't know the answer, we hopefully will know who might know the answer. So we can connect, we can kind of serve as a hub uh, where a question comes in and we say, hey, you know, Diana Sanchez-Bouchon has been working on this for 20 years. You should talk to her. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well, at Discipleship Ministries, we call those brokers of knowledge. And we see that as a big part of our work. We can't know everything and we can't do everything, but we can certainly be connectors and um, help people find what they need by directing them to other people. So I, I love that you you think of yourself as a hub or they consider you that at the Hymn Society. And I see your work everywhere. I mean, you're I just see you so active in so many ways and getting writers to write um, and mm-hmm. the 
the things that you have that come out from the Center for Congregational Singing are really great. I'm so happy that you're serving there. Yeah. Yay, SMU Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to say that recently Brian and I served on an ecumenical consultation on resuming worship and um, resuming worship in our spaces for worship, in-person worship, if you will. And Brian and I co-wrote a brief giving some guidance on singing together when we do start to reopen our places of worship. Now, this ecumenical consultation um, is led by United, United Methodists. Um, there's Lutherans and Episcopalians on there, scholars, medical experts, all in consultation with the CDC. And we produced this document called Resuming Care-Filled Worship and Sacramental Life During a Pandemic. Uh, Brian and I were among the dozens of theologians, pastors, ministry leaders, and public health experts involved in the process of developing this document. It's a 36-page document, and it can be found on multiple websites now, including the Hymn Society and also Discipleship Ministries. So, Brian, let's talk a little bit about this consultation and what we learned on our collaboration. What were some of your takeaways from all the conversations that we had? Um, well, I think, I think the, one of the biggest takeaways I had is, is that, um, even, even in a group of people who are working their, their hardest to come to a consensus about how to handle this situation, it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, there, there's just the, the combination of. I, I, the, the various recommendations that are being put out by all the various communities, how you interpret that information, um, and then the amount of, of of risk and theological discernment that people do and, and the different conclusions that they come to just creates a multitude of opinions on what is best. And it's complicated. And so one of the things I appreciated about the consultation was that sometimes we just had to agree to disagree mm -hmm. um and we had to we had to find ways to figure out what was the most important things where we couldn't agree to disagree where we really had to come up with this is what we think is best together and then we had to figure out which which items where it was, it was okay that we had different opinions and different ways to handle it um and and that's a there's just a lot of gray area there. Yeah, and, and I see that um, gray area being very problematic for the church leaders. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are asking, what should we do, especially in the area of singing and congregational singing? They're singing, there's music leading, and then, of course, there's a whole congregation singing together. Yeah. Um, there's uh, opinions from the city CDC, there's opinions from the bishop, from the DS, and of course, then within every congregation, there are opinions there. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is, it is a really difficult um, time for our church leaders to navigate this and, and be safe. And I think that's where you and I were in total agreement that it's, it's always best to err on the side of safety. Um, yeah. Oh, so this, this, uh, why don't you read this that we uh, put together, um, which I think speaks to that. 
the the part in italics here. <laughs> so we we said while singing is not recommended at this time, there are many other ways to worship together and make music together. In times such as these, we are called as leaders of the church to think creatively about how to serve God and God's people. Unlike the Nats ACDA webinar, the document does not include any specific timeline on when singing might or might not resume again. The science is changing too rapidly to do that with any certainty. Now, do you think people are going to have pushback to that? Oh yeah, we've already received the hymns or the hymn society has already received pushback on on the document in its entirety, but but also specifically the recommendation not to sing. You know, I I just I really struggle with with making a decision to allow people to sing right now um, because, like you said. Uh, we have to err on the side of caution because right now we don't know a lot more than we know. <laughs> we don't know if it's safe to sing. Right. We don't know. We don't even know all of the symptoms of COVID. They're still finding new symptoms and, uh, and, and, and ramifications for people that have caught it. Um, so, and I mean, mutations. The virus is mutating. Right. And, and so on a weekly basis, we are learning more about what this thing is and what it does and how to test for it and all sorts of things. So I have to ask, I mean, I'm the director of the Center for Congregational Song. <laughs> for goodness and, sake. <laughs> and we put out a recommendation not to sing, right? Mm -hmm. So... I don't understand. I guess people, some people have said that that was flippant and I'm mm. like, Whoa, no, like why? <laughs> but, but I have to ask myself if, if we recommend, if we tell people it might be okay to sing and then people say, well, it sounds like we can sing and they sing and someone dies. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I cannot live with that. Like sure. I, I have to, I value someone's life more than singing. And mm -hmm. I don't know how else to phrase that. Right. You know, if, if there was a, let's say if there was a 1% a, a chance that during your service, if someone sings, a giant knife swung down and killed somebody, would you be like, we'll take that risk? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's like, a, it's a gruesome way to put it, but ultimately that's, that's what's happening here, right? If there's like a, if there's a 1% chance that someone's going to die by doing something in your worship service, are you going to do it anyways? Do you really have to do it that badly that you right. would put someone else in danger? And, I mean, I, another way that I've thought about this is, so, you know, some people are like, well, God commands us to sing, so we have to sing, right? That's one of the arguments for singing anyways. Mm -hmm. Well, frankly, if God cares more about me singing to God than preserving the life of a fellow human being, that's not my God. All right. I, that, that is not a God I want to worship. 
Well, that's not loving your neighbor. So there's a contradiction there. That's right. And, and I think that's where the theological work that, that, that our consultation did is super important because sure. to make that claim, to claim that God wants us to sing regardless of the risk to human life um, is theologically pretty problematic. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Oh, wow. There, so if we can't embody the song by using our vocal cords, mm. What are some other ways that we can embody the song? What are some of your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I, I think the, the first thing that, and I've gotten this question a lot already, and I've thought about it, is, well, what about humming? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you think about it, it's like there's no way that humming could be as dangerous as singing. And it's probably not nearly as dangerous as even talking. Uh, but but there's no science on it. They, right. These things have not been studied scientifically, and so it's a giant question mark. So even, like, the, the, the next go-to would be humming. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And that's why we didn't recommend that, because there's no science on it. And mm-hmm. we're trying our darndest to actually pay attention to, like, what science has proven. <laughs> and there's just isn't any on, on humming. So humming seems to be a big question mark right now. Um, but what isn't a big question mark is using your body. Mm. And, you know, percussion, um, body percussion, movement, dance, American Sign Language, or whatever sign language if you're not uh, in America. Uh, but uh, ASL, and uh, there's a lot of options for engaging people even intentional reflection yes um you know when's the last time that people actually read the words to amazing grace so maybe the music is played but people just read the text mm-hmm. and maybe you could even you know in in its poetic form because when we read it in a hymnal it's not it's it, the poetry has been all jumbled up so you don't get to see the form. So mm-hmm. for for Americans and the British, they've figured this out by having the poem separate from the music, which yes. is really hard to sing. <laughs> yeah, for us it is. It, yeah. Right. You know, but so now maybe this is our opportunity to actually dig into the beauty of the poetry and invite people to to reflect on the text and highlight More like, parts of it. Yeah, sort of like Lectio Divina, but with music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think those are great, great opportunities. Now, do I want to do that for the next six months? No. Um, but maybe, maybe one of the hymns each week is just a silent reflection where people are invited to read. I think that could be quite lovely. And we might be surprised about what we learn. Maybe we read Amazing Grace and we realize that I don't really agree with this very much. Yeah. Or that your child says, why does it say that? What's yeah. a rich? You yeah. know, it yeah, makes you exactly. have to dig deeper. Yeah. I think yeah, come thou fount of every blessing. Here I raise my Ebenezer. That's like, you know, what the heck? He's an Ebenezer. <laughs> um, Wasn't he Scrooge or something? Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I think that provides us with a really wonderful opportunity. What are some biblical stories that can guide us as we're making these hard decisions in this difficult time? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, 
they're the typical stories or or verses that that could be used right there in in the psalms we have you know praise the lord with timbrel and dance uh things like that the story of david dancing naked and that was kind of a scandal but then you know people have used <laughs> that as an as a a biblical not mandate but excuse for for why it's okay to dance um you know things like that uh but but those the stories that i like to dig into for times like this there, there are two in particular so there's a combination of the genesis creation stories and the psalms uh saying let everything that has his breath praise the lord so you know there's um there's the beautiful cre creation narratives where it's very obvious that god creates earth to work in harmony together and that all of these living things are praising god so i think that begs the question of well you know how does a fish praise god um i mean we're obviously praising god because we use words and we have liturgy and so obviously we're praising god um well then well then how does a fish praise god or how does a bird praise god um and so there's there's this right at the very beginning of the Bible. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like worshiping me is not a, a monolithic thing. Um, everything, everything that has breath can praise me in, in its own way. Yeah. And so in, in that way, I think God gives us a wonderful image of the, the, the breadth of possibilities for how to praise. Mm. The, the next story that I love that that has been i think can speak into this moment is the story of of elijah trying to find god's voice so you know this this mighty prophet you know wants to find god right and and figure out what god has to say and so there's this story of of him you know looking for all of the ways that god has previously spoken right uh, maybe god's in the wind right because the mighty whirlwind led the people out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt. And he looked yeah. and couldn't find God, couldn't find God. Well, God, you've always spoken in these ways. Why can't I find you? And then finally finds God in the silence. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the first time that God has presented God's self in, through silence. So there's this beautiful, once again, this beautiful illustration of God's unexpectedness. Uh. Uh, which connects, of course, then to the book of Acts and, and how the Holy Spirit works in unexpected ways and kind of as a provocateur, right? So, so when we're struggling to find God through our normal mechanisms, such as, I always feel God's presence when we sing. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe God is showing up in a different way and we have to be aware enough to look in that new place. Yes, yes. I think that's a that's another story that really could speak into this moment. Um, yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, and we have to remember that um, we we get into our routines and and the things that we love. As you're saying, I you know I God speaks to me when I sing. God speaks to me this, and when that's not possible mm. um I, I even think of chariots of fire um the runner that wouldn't run on sunday and said you know uh, god speaks to you <laughs> thanks <laughs> 
think slow-mo right here. Um, but God, God made me fast. And, um, and God speaks to me when I'm running. It's like, oh, wow. But what happens if that does get taken away for whatever reason? Yeah. And then we then it's a blessing in that we have an opportunity to find God in other ways that we had would never even look mm. because we didn't have to. We had the thing that we love. So, mm. yeah, I think this time does afford us some creative opportunities to do things differently. Mm. Um, and I think that's wonderful. Well, one, one of the things that I was thinking, too, um, thinking about going back to in-person worship at some point. And, and I, I really think we are going back in stages in that um, just this past Sunday or a couple of Sundays ago, my daughter was with a couple of her friends and they had all been very careful with, you know, who they'd been around. And so they were on a, a little trip together. And she said, the best thing is we got to worship together on Sunday morning. We turned on the uh, church that we love to watch and so all of a sudden she wasn't singing alone mm -hmm. with the Zoom. She was singing with two of her friends. And it. And so I think, you know, that is, I think how we can start approaching getting back to um, in-person worship is slowly mm -hmm. in sort of house church settings where you gather three or four more people that you know your neighbors or whomever, your family members. Um, and that that gives us some of that food that we need, which is singing together, but mm. we're not in a, an enclosed room with 60, 100, 200 other people, right. which then becomes so, so dangerous in this time. So uh, I'm hopeful that that's um, part of the way we're going to go back. But in the meantime, you know, I, and I want those listening today to think about this, and that is that we have gotten to a point where we're doing online worship quite well. And there shouldn't be a rush to, to get back into in-person worship. And I've heard many pastors and literally many, many say that we're not even thinking about it until the end of this year and maybe even next year. And because we don't want to open until everybody can be in the room together. Mm. So, I mean, that's kind of an all or nothing situation, but, but that also speaks to the fact that online worship is going well mm -hmm. and it's not hurting anybody. Whereas you said earlier, Brian, you know, why would we even consider um, this being in person and singing together when it might affect even the smallest percentage of folks there? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, once again, there's not going to be a right or a wrong answer uh, or, or maybe there are, but I'm not sure we'll know that until <laughs> until we're looking at it in retrospect. Um, hindsight's always 2020. Um, so I, th I think you have to make the best decisions you can for your community. Um, and and I think I think the worst thing that we can do is to not think about it deeply. And and to just make rash decisions. Oh well, it seems like it's kind of safe, so we'll just start worshiping again. Done. Well, well, we see where the, where that's happening in terms of the marketplace right now. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that's, that's the worst thing we can do. Um, the best thing we can do is to think deeply about it, to make the decision together, right? So that no pastor should be making this decision on their own. That's right. ridiculous. 
that's first of all, that's that's too much responsibility for one person, regardless of your title. Um, but also, uh, if something goes wrong, if someone gets hurt, um, then then man, that that's just not good for your own job security. It's not good for your community's health. Um, you need to be making these decisions as a community. Um, you need to be entrusting leaders who have the trust of the people, and you need to be getting feedback from in, in whatever ways you can from a large group of the congregation, so that yeah, when yeah. the decisions made, you've made it together. And, yes. and so that if it goes well, you can celebrate together, and if it goes poorly, you can lament together, right? Mm -hmm. But but you can't necessarily pass blame because uh, that's that's just not healthy. So, um, you know, like I said, the worst thing you can do is just to act rashly. The best thing we can do is to to work together. Yeah. Right. And remember Wesley's uh, statements of do no harm. Yeah. yeah. Start there. Well, I, I want to ask you something that's somewhat related, but it's a little bit different. As I was looking at your website, the Hymn Society and the Center for Congregational Singing, I saw this vision statement, and I just love it. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about it uh, as we're wrapping up. So this statement says, we believe that the holy act of singing together shapes faith, heals brokenness, transforms lives, and renews peace. And I think, oh my goodness, such a time as this, where there's so many things in our society going poorly, and uh, and we want to sing together, um, to uh, hold each other up, to be in solidarity. So, what advice do you have? And we'll speak a little bit about your statement, and then you know, what advice do you have to share that we can continue this work of healing and transformation? Sure. So. You know, the hymn study has a mission statement, and it's like one of those typical mission statements where it kind of is like, well, this is what we do, right? This is kind of how we do what we do. Um, but we, the board of the hymn society about hmm, five to seven years ago um, realized that we, we hadn't really articulated why we do what we do. And so we went through this exercise together, and, and the board really crafted this statement and put it out to the hymn society kind of as a... a a test to see if it, if it really spoke to why our members do what we do. And, and it's really stood up over the last five to seven years as a, as a very truthful statement about why people feel like we sing together and why we care about the church's song so much and why we work so hard to, to write it well, to lead it well, um, and to preserve uh, the things that, that history has given us um, as gifts. Um, but to also work to, to create new things. Um, so it's, it's done a, a good job, I think, in that way. Um, how does it, what was your second question? Like, how does it speak to <laughs> Well, how can we, well, so, so I was thinking, especially that last statement, renews peace. The act, the holy act of oh, yeah. singing together renews peace, and we need peace right now. And I, and sure, yeah. When we sing together, we create harmony, literally. Yeah, yeah, we create right. unity. We create one breath. Um, sure. So, yeah, how do we do that right now when and when we need peace so badly and we need to bring healing so badly? Yeah, well, I, if I remember correctly, and I, I'm pretty sure this is true, 
the order of these things was very intentional um, because, you know, peace, peace without justice is, is, is not actually peace, right? This is one of the kind of statements that's being, that's used a lot during times of unrest and protest and, and riots um, because uh, uh, peace without justice is, is, is a false reality, right? So, right. <laughs> so we, we put that last. Uh, Renews peace is the last thing that can happen because um, if, if people's faith isn't being shaped towards something holy, then, then we're not going to heal brokenness, right? We're going to create more brokenness. So when we sing together these songs of faith and, and hopefully truth with a big T, um, then, then that begins to shape who we are and what we believe in, into something holy. When that happens, then we begin to heal brokenness, brokenness in ourselves, or you know, uh, something that maybe past wrongs that we've experienced individually begin to heal. Um, we begin to forgive ourselves for things that we've done to others, um, things like that, which is when lives are transformed. Yes. Right? And, and, and once that transformation has happened, once we've moved to a new place where we can be better, both individually and systemically, then peace can be renewed, right? This, this idea that, you know, we're, we're moving back towards the beginning when God created everything and it was good. We've kind mm. of, you know, and so we're, we're, we're moving back towards that by moving forward to God's kingdom that, you know, or kingdom that God is calling yeah. us to, yeah. um, that renewal of peace, um, both in, in my, you know, microscopic ways where we experience a moment of true peace and harmony, maybe within our own community, maybe within ourselves, um, but then also largely, you know, we're renewing peace within our society. Um, and then something breaks and we start the cycle again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, we, yeah, we refocus on some other part that's broken, but. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah, I love that. I think that's a, a beautiful statement um, that singing together shapes faith heals brokenness, transforms lives, and renews peace. Oh, and, Lord, may it be so. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the gifts that we're being given right now is, well, what, what would it look like for us to really just read the words of mm -hmm. what we've been singing for so long? Mm -hmm. How is that shaping our faith? And do we want our faith to be shaped in that way? Mm -hmm. And we may be surprised about, about what we find out. And, you know, we don't, Maybe one of the reasons we haven't renewed peace as well as we could is because we keep singing these words that we don't really want to believe. So we should stop doing that. Or, wow, we've been singing that. We are not living up to that. We need <laughs> to do a better job of leaning into uh, come thou found of every blessing you know, or, or whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I also find exciting right now is the the writers, the poets, the people that are putting pen to paper and writing, um, a, you know, songs that speak to what's happening now. But in the in this context, uh, sometimes it's hard to sing some of the songs from 200 years ago and make that shift to the context of today and the vernacular of today. Mm -hmm. And so I know that the Hymn Society also works at, you know, um, new voices always yep. coming up and sharing those through your publications and 
through the hymn festivals and other things at your conferences. So I think we're going to see a lot of new music coming up um, yep. in light of all of this. I hope so. Yeah. And, and pray that it does bring healing and peace for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, I, I thank you so much for being with me today and, and sharing in this conversation. And I thank all of you for joining us today. We hope that this has been helpful to you. And uh, remember that you can find more information at our website at umcdiscipleship.org. We've recently put up some more uh, documents about singing in the church. Uh, Those went up on Friday. And also I put up a document called Music uh, Resources for Times of um, Anger and Grief. And it it brings to... um, supplies a lot of uh, songs as well and videos for you to uh, watch and to use for your own devotional time. So until next time, we'll be praying for you and with you and your congregation. May God continue to bless your worship ministry as you make disciples for the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.